Well, let's see the dates now. July 23rd to August 8th, 2021. That's almost exactly one year later than originally planned. And we're talking, of course, about the Tokyo Olympics, which were to have gone this July through to this August in Tokyo. And, of course, uh, postponed for almost exactly a year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our next guest is a, a young sailor who was trying hard to make the Canadian team for 2020. Uh, his goal, ultimately, is to make the 2024. Olympic team, but he's good enough and uh, in line that he very well could have made the 2020 team and has obviously still got his sights set on that. Last time we talked to James Juhas, the wind literally had been let out of his sails because, of course, we had just learned the news of the cancellation. James is back with us this morning. He's a third-year student at Queen's University, an active member of their sailing team. He's in the Olympic trials program, and I would imagine feeling a little bit better about life than he was last time he made an appearance with us. James, good morning. Thanks for joining in with us again. Hey, Sterling. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's good to have you back. And, uh, you know, you weren't the, the mopiest person in Canada on the radio when we talked last time, but you were kind of a down guy because you were trying to cope with all of these cancellation things. And for everyone, you were just simply being representative of pretty much our entire Olympic team, regardless of sport and discipline, simply literally the, the wind let out of your sails. Since then... And, and since Tokyo has finally got their act together, decided to, and the IOC, of course, and decided to cancel, we have new dates. We have new targets. Uh, talk to us about the, the, lag, the lag time, James, between getting the news that you weren't going to go, and that's when you and I talked last, and what's happened behind the scenes with the Canadian Olympic movement to kind of pump the air back into the tires and get everybody refocused on a year later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been uh, it's been a big couple of weeks. There's been a lot of things going on. The uh, we've been we've been trying to organize as much training as possible. You know, we're doing a lot of training at home, and you know, keeping up up to date every day with uh, with the new regulations that are being implemented and and how that affects us, and uh, and how that affects different members of our team that are you know all around the country. So. Uh, finally, the, uh, a couple of us in Ontario here have been able to uh, get together in, in Kingston and self-isolate, where uh, where we can we can start sailing. They just uh, they just opened public marinas up yesterday, which is uh, which is actually a huge news for us because it means we can we can all start start sailing as a team again again. You know, a socially a socially distanced team, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, one that's still uh, being productive and, and getting out there on the water and uh, getting back to getting back to you know semi normal life for us of uh, of training every day. Exactly. Now you were talking about uh, you know the virtual training program that you and your other members of the team. I should also let our listeners or remind our listeners, uh, James, that you're on the sailing team. Your particular choice of boat is the laser, which, as I understand it, in my, if memory serves, is the smallest category of boat in Olympic sailing, correct? Yes, yeah, it is, and also only a one-person boat, so uh, so it works pretty well for social distancing. Well, absolutely, but, you know, in terms of, of training programs, because you are required to be uh, isolated and you can't gather in gyms and all of those sorts of things, although that may be 
coming up fast. So have you been uh, doing virtual training, kind of Zoom stuff over the last few weeks, getting together online with as many of your teammates and Olympic movement members as you can, again, just to keep other, each other sort of motivated? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like just like everybody else who, who's in the workplace and trying to complete the workplace, uh, the workplace at home. I've been I've been subjected to to many Zoom calls over the past uh, over the past couple of weeks, and uh, you know you, the big the big challenge is is just organizing things at this point because everybody is under different regulations sure. and everybody has different comfort levels and everybody is uh, is in different areas, and so. You know, getting getting together on uh, on Zoom and just making sure everybody's on the same page is uh, is, is huge for sure. And I'm so, sure. You know, conversations like that are happening with team members, coaches, strength coaches, mental performance coaches, everybody. Are you noticing, James, when you're talking with your teammates, and it's a it's a pan Canadian team? You have team members here in British Columbia and Nova Scotia. You're in Ontario. The rules in terms of distancing and you know reconnect, restarting the the province vary from they're different here in BC than they are, for example, in Ontario. Uh, has that made much of a difference as you all try to get on the same page, or are the rules close enough that it really doesn't matter? Yeah, yeah, the rules are the rules are pretty close, so it's not a huge difference. But okay. it's just being aware of those differences. Um, you know, if, like we we want to go to because our, our coach is from uh, Halifax. So okay. we want to be out. We want to be out east for uh, for a couple of weeks this summer, and so just being aware that you know when we go out there, when we travel there, we're going to need to quarantine for uh, for fourteen days, but then. And we can go about our training after that, and when we come back uh, into Ontario, we won't we won't need to self isolate. So just just being aware of of things like that and the little differences. I did not even know that. For example, now if you're, I did not know that, James. And a, a person, a young, healthy person, you, you don't come uh, any healthier than Olympic athlete cal- caliber uh, human beings. Uh, but you're in fine form. You're going to go down to Nova Scotia to do some work with the the sailing team this summer, and to travel from on. This is domestic to travel from Ontario to Nova Scotia, even as a, 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 obviously you're a Canadian, you're doing Canadian Olympic stuff, you're still going to have to self-isolate for 14 days? Did not know that. Were you expecting that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've, been, I've been pretty up to date on the, on the regulations and, and checking them every day, so it's kind of, it's something that's always been there. It's just something that we're going to have to deal with if we if we determine that, that uh, going to Nova Scotia is going to be worth that two weeks lost on the water yeah so when do the you the olympic trial series begin now we're we're just over a year away from the new start date of july 23rd next year when do you get back into the groove of going to events james international events whose um outcomes will make a difference in whether you make the olympic team or not yeah you know that's a that's kind of the question in everybody's mind right now is there's um, a lot of the events that were planned for this summer, or at least one of them, was uh, has been delayed until September fifth, and that's in that's in Germany. So last I heard, I was actually just talking to uh, to my friend from Germany the other day, and everything's still going ahead with that. Mm-hmm. So as long as as long as the regulations permit it, um, that that will be the first event that I'll be back at, and then um, and then after that. 
nothing is basically announced until the 2021 Worlds, which are going to be in Spain, but not till after the Olympics next year. So, uh, so there's a there's a huge a huge gap that that kind of needs to be filled. And I think you know the class association is um, is is working really hard to to fill those to fill those events up. But uh, but right now with so with so little information and so so much uncertainty about especially what all the different European governments are going to do. Sure, it's. Um, it's a it's a little bit up in the air still, so they're waiting to make those decisions. Yeah, well, this sounds like it's going to be a pretty big deal then in Germany. Uh, so we wish you considerable success in preparing for it, James, and uh, doing it. We'll talk, but we'll talk before you head across the pond for the event, though. Okay, we'll check back with you and see Absolutely. how the how the training regime is going over the summer. Sounds good. Thanks for being with us today. Stay well and stay safe. Thank you, Sterling. And uh, if anybody wants to follow along with my campaign, they can go to my website, jamesuhas.com, or follow along at james.uhas on Instagram. All right, James, I'll pass that along. Thank you, James Uhas. And by the way, Uhas is spelled J-U-H. A-S-Z, and you can follow his exploits and hopefully his uh, successes in Germany in September. James, thanks very much. Coming up on Monday, it's another tax deadline. Wait a second. No, June 1st? Yes, this year, it's a tax deadline. Here to straighten us all out and and give us the facts and what this means is Jerry Vitoratos, a tax expert from UFILE and a good friend of CKNW in this program. Jerry, welcome back. Great to have you with us today. Uh, great to be here again. Thank you for welcoming me back. It's our pleasure, sir. Now, tell us about who is due on Monday, June 1st, Jerry, and, and what are the implications here? So everybody is basically due with the exception of self-employed individuals. So anybody who's got a, a, a non-incorporated business, so just self-employment, in other words, their deadline is still June 15th, which okay. was the standard deadline before all these announcements. So everybody else, their deadline is June 1st coming up. Now, that typically, though, in any other year, would have been April 30th, wouldn't it, Jerry? Yes, absolutely. So due to the pandemic and due to you know what's going on right now, these unprecedented times that are, that are happening right now, the government extended by month the deadline for filing our tax return. And what do you know about that, Jerry, in terms of how many Canadians have decided, well, since I don't have to file by April 30th, I won't and have filed or will have filed by tomorrow instead? Well, what we found so far, and this is also uh, this is also bared out by our own internal statistics as far as uh, customers that have bought our software product, which is UFile, yeah. is that according to StatsCan, as of right now, uh, 22. Well, this is actually since May 25th, which was Monday. This is the earliest, the latest stats that we have is that 22 million Canadians so far have filed their tax return. Now, that might that might not mean anything offhand, but when we compare it to last year, which was uh, the total tax returns that were filed for the 2018 year was actually 28 million. Oh. So we see that, that this has had a profound effect uh, on people filing. So a lot of people deferred essentially filing their tax return. Well, since that seems to be a trend, that remind us again then of the actual deadline. Is it by midnight tomorrow, Sunday, the 31st of May, Jerry? Or is it by midnight on Monday, the 1st of June? It would be midnight, uh, 1st of June. That's essentially what it is. So as of midnight 01, if you have not filed your tax return and you owe, let's say you have a balance owing on your tax return, well, unfortunately, penalties will apply. 
the government will charge penalties as as of midnight or one uh, June uh, June second, essentially. Ah, I see. But you don't have to uh, if, if you owe the government some money, and many of us will. Uh, you don't have to have that check in by midnight on Monday, do you? No, you don't. That's and that's the great news, actually. And that's why you know what I recommend to everybody who's listening to us right now is even if you have a balance owing, file your return anyways, because yeah. the deadline to pay your amount owing has been extended to September first. So you have the whole summer to pay it. But remember that if you don't file by June first, unfortunately, they will slap a penalty on your balance owing because you're late filing. Oh, so but if you file on time, it doesn't matter how much you owe. The balance you you get until September first penalty free provided you filed your paperwork on time precisely and interest free as well that's the key as well so so in other words you're not late in your payment uh if you if you file by june 1st and you're not late in your payment if you pay by september 1st so there's no interest or penalties as long as you file by june 1st and you pay your balance owing by september September 1st okay that makes sense and it gives everybody just a little in in many cases quite necessary breathing room in these trying times now you did mention self-employed individuals a moments ago jerry uh uh, it, it, and what it, what about small businesses that uh, you, you're not necessarily a contract worker or a, a single solitary uh, uh, self-employed person, but you're a small entrepreneur? What are those tax deadlines? So if you are a, what the government considers self-employed, which means you're not incorporated, so you haven't created a, a different moral person, if you want to speak the legalese here, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you, know, you didn't create a new entity. So essentially, you're just self-employed. Uh, you make your own money. You, you seek out your own contracts, but you haven't incorporated your business. Right. That deadline is always June 15th, and okay. it and always has been June 15th, actually. Even under the standard deadline dates, you always had till June 15th to file. Now, if you do have an incorporated business. Well, the way that works, even if it's a small corporation, let's say, um, the way that works, the, the way that works is that your deadline is always six months after your year end. That's the standard deadline. Okay. Okay. So now what the government, uh, what the government has done is that for anybody who has to file by June, July, or August, they've extended their deadlines to September 1st. Jerry Vitoratos is with us. Mr. Vitoratos is a tax expert with UFILE. And we're talking about, well, the Monday tax deadline of June 1st, of course. And Jerry, I wanted to talk about some of these benefit programs. But first, and I'm starting to see stuff like this in the papers, as more and more of us during this lockdown have been requested, uh, forced in many cases, to work from home due to logistical realities. Uh, some of us are looking around this working from home situation and going, well, since I'm here, I'm going to have to adjust and make a move, move a few things around and create kind of a home office or studio environment that didn't exist before. So might I be eligible for some tax deductions on the expenses I'm making to readjust my home to a kind of a workplace? In theory, yes. Uh, but what I say is in theory, because it, what you would fall under is the business use of home expenses for under the employment expenses uh, side of things. So uh, what would happen is if you are required to work from home uh, and your employer signs off on the fact that you that you have to work from home sure. in order to to uh, to do your work, uh, then some expenses that you incur at home, like, for example, uh, your cost of electricity, heating, maintenance, 
property taxes if you own the property, uh, home insurance and rent if you're renting the property. Mm-hmm. These are the type of expenses that you could actually claim. Now, the way you claim those expenses, though, is on a prorated basis, which means that once you've set up your home office, you have to determine what percentage of the room, uh, of, the, of the total room of your home does that office represent, right? So all those expenses that I just mentioned now, let's say your home office it represents about 10% of the, of the space of your home. Okay. Well, then all the expenses that I just mentioned now, you can deduct only 10% oh, of those okay. expenses. Oh, okay. Right, right. So it's if your rent, uh, so you get 10% of your rent or you, the, the interest on your mortgage or whatever you would be allowed being a, either a tenant or a, or a homeowner, it would only be the percentage that your workspace represents of your total square footage. Absolutely, yes. Uh-huh. Now, there's also another caveat is that what I mentioned before is that your, your employer has to sign off on it. It's not automatic that you will be able to deduct those expenses because as per the tax law, what the tax law requires is that you, you, you ha- you're working from home on a regular and continuous basis. Right. So continuous is the catch. Remember that these measures are usually temporary. Sure. All, all of us are working from home right now, and everybody who's working from home right now, chances are this is a temporary thing. Right. It's not, a, it's not a, on a continuous basis. So it's possible that you, you might not be eligible to deduct those expenses that I mentioned before due to that provision. And remember that your employer has to sign off. It's a specific form that your, that your employer has to sign off, which is the T-2200. That's the form that they have to sign. Okay, well, that, and that's good to know because as uh, this has come up, I had a conversation just a couple of nights ago with a, with someone who's been working from home, not necessarily by uh, by design, but you know they're fine. We 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 adapt, we pivot. There's the big word of the pandemic, Jerry. We pivot and we 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 adjust and we carry on. But this person was quite uh, quite uh, optimistic that because uh, she had spent a little bit of extra money, uh, sort of tweaking things in the household that she may be, able to, may be able to get some of it back. But I didn't ask because I didn't know to ask whether her employer had signed off on it or not. There you go. And it's not all expenses. For example, any renovations that your friend might have done, those are not eligible. The only thing that are eligible is the day-to-day expenses of maintaining that home office. Like I said, you know, heating, electricity, sure. and so on. That, that's, that's basically what's eligible. Okay. A lot of people are going to be thinking about this in, in the weeks and months ahead. And I guess a lot of it, Jerry, will be determined by time itself, depending on how many of us uh, stay at home or return to the office when it's deemed appropriate to do so. Let's talk a little bit about some of these benefit programs and the well let's start with how who's taxable and who isn't. For example, here in British Columbia, I know the provincial government has authorized a payment of $1000 to qualified individuals and Mr. Horgan the premier was right up front saying that's going to be a tax-free benefit. Uh, and and yet we know we have some federal programs that are the opposite. They're taxable. Help us sort through this, Jerry, please. Okay, so essentially, uh, you're right. Uh, the the BC Emergency Benefit for Workers that was announced is a one is a one time payment of a thousand dollars, which will be tax free. So okay. the government has confirmed that, that that it will be tax free. Now, this benefit will be based on the eligibility criteria of a federal benefit, which is of course the CERB, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, and these are individuals that essentially have been laid off. Uh, due to the COVID pandemic, or they're making very little income. They can't, they can't make more than $1,000 per month, uh, essentially, uh, during, uh, during the, the benefit period. Okay. So 
those benefits, which is $2,000 per month, that benefit will be taxable. Okay, so that's something that will have to be added on your tax return in 2020. The ca- there's a big catch now to, to this benefit. It's great that the government is paying this benefit. Unfortunately, what they haven't done is withhold taxes at source. Right. And that's going to be a problem for people who are going to be filing their 2020 tax returns. Reason being that a tax return is a reconciliation statement. You're determining whether you pay too much or too little tax during the year. So if you're an employee, you pay this tax through your payroll deductions. You do this offhand every single week that you get paid. With a CRB right now, you're not, there's no withholdings whatsoever being done at source. Therefore, automatically, you've underpaid the government yeah, during and, the year. And the problem, too, Jerry, is that this benefit is going to be received by a lot of people who may even recognize that this is taxable. I really should set aside 200 or three or $400 or whatever my taxation rate is going to be uh, and, and just put it on hold because I'm going to have to cough it up next year at tax time. But the reality, Jerry, is that a lot of people receiving these benefits just don't have the luxury of setting some money aside. Every penny of that is is basically spent before it even arrives. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're, you are absolutely right. And that's going to be, we'll see if the government announces some sort of measure uh, because of that. Because, because, like I said, automatically these individuals have underpaid their tax mm-hmm. and they will have balances owing if, if they receive that CRB for the full period. Uh, and they've had employment income as well. So you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I, what I would recommend to everybody, if they can, of course, if they can, to set aside whatever they can in order to pay that tax. Uh, but you're right. Hopefully the government will make another announcement on this. Yeah, but the other thing, too, I suppose, and you're the math whiz in this conversation, not me for crying out loud, Jerry, but the reality very well could be for many individuals that the money we're going to make in 2020 will represent less than we would have made, see, even last year, because our job was interrupted, our cash flow was interrupted. We're going to declare a much lower net income at the end of the year, which could reduce our taxation percentage level, possibly, couldn't it? You're absolutely right. Uh, chances are for these individuals, because this benefit came in in March, right? It would be about mid-March that this benefit got, uh, w- w- started being paid. Mm-hmm. Your tax rate will be lower. The issue will be, though, that remember, even if your tax rate was higher under normal circumstances, you were paying this tax along the way. You paid it already. So sure. you got to your tax return. You know, you've already paid it, and you're not going to get that shock of having to have that balance owing there. Now, the problem with the CRB will be, even, if you, even though your income is lower and your tax is lower, you haven't paid that tax throughout the year. You're going to have to pay it lump sum next year until April 30th. And that's going to be the shock now for a lot of individuals. Indeed. Now, the, a couple of other quickies here, Jerry, before we have to let you go. There is a, a coming, I believe, sometime either in June or July, uh, a, an additional $300 benefit one time to seniors. There have also been increases to the child uh, benefit. Uh, will those be taxable? The good news is no. Uh, so, so essentially what they've done there is that, yes, uh, old age security will get a one-time payment. Uh, GST uh, has already been paid out, actually. There was a one-time payment for, uh, for GST, which essentially doubled the credit. Okay. And then there's also uh, a one-time payment for the Canada Child Benefit that was paid out, actually, earlier in May, which was an, an additional $300 per child. The good news is for all these benefits, including the increase of the supplement amount uh, that they've also declared as well, uh, is that all these 
ben- all these uh, benefits will be non-taxable, okay, uh, by default. Even though old age security is normally taxable mm-hmm. on a senior's return, it will not. This one-time payment will not be. And final question to you, Mr. Viterados: Are you aware of when that benefit to the seniors, that three hundred dollar one-time seniors benefits, will arrive? It should be around mid-June. June, uh, that, okay. That's, that's at least the, the understanding. It should be around mid-June, if not early July. Okay. Heard sometime over the summer, kind of vaguely identified, but now we can focus in on mid-June. Yeah, it, it should be. Normally, the benefits get recalculated as of July 1st. That's when usually they recalculate what the benefits will be. I'm, I'm assuming it should be around that time period. It should be around there. All right, Jerry Vitoratos, thanks for the clarifications. Bernie. Great to have you back on the show, Jerry. And we do appreciate the clarity of your responses always. Thank you very much again for having me. And our next guest is joining us from Vancouver. He is uh, part of the Retail Council of Canada. In fact, he's the BC Director of Government Relations for the Retail Council of Canada. A pleasure to welcome Greg Wilson to the program. Mr. Wilson, Greg, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Good morning, sir. It's nice to have you with us. A couple of things to talk about, Greg. Here in BC, uh, where you live, as uh, well as all of our listeners, uh, we've had some a- an interesting twist to the plot where uh, some of the grocery retail chains have been uh, paying their employees, uh, I guess, a pandemic premium, for lack of a better description of it, a bonus, uh, extra bit of pay uh, for going to work every day and putting themselves in harm's way, as, as some would view it. Uh, one of the, the chains has announced that they're going to rescind that bonus program uh, effective quite soon. Uh, their union is uh, flipping out, saying that that's not fair. Uh, any thoughts on this? I know we've got a few other things to talk about, but this is in our front yard, and you and I both buy groceries in B.C. What do you think about this, Greg? Well, I mean, I think what happened is that the government decided, the Prime Minister announced in sort of mid-April that there would be a top-up for essential service workers, for grocery workers and pharmacy workers. Um, The province of British Columbia decided not to do that in B.C., so um, we were disappointed by that decision. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, one of the things is that at the moment, the costs have increased and retail, we're very happy, is reopening and uh, the world is normalizing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, those people who, who are either members or who have come to the Retail Council of Canada looking for advice, whose situation is considerably more dire, Greg. Uh, people in small business, entrepreneurs, the nationwide, uh, have had some government benefit programs directed at them, but not all of the programs are being as effective as perhaps hoped. Let's talk about the uh, the the uh, members of uh, the retail council who have who simply aren't in a position to pay their rent. Rent is due tomorrow. Well, and this is the third month of paying rent when you haven't had any sales income, and so forty eight percent of members indicate they're unable to pay rent. Thirty four percent of members threaten tell us that they've been threatened with lock changes or evictions. We know that the federal government has a program. Um, But the program, uh, 70% of landlords indicate that they're not applying for the program. Right. And there's nothing to force landlords to apply for the program. So as long as the tenant pays rent, there's no real reason why the landlord should apply for the program. But um, the tenant is still not bringing in income and uh, 
may not have the money to pay the rent much longer. This is the program where the feds will pay half of the rent, the tenant pays 25% of the rent, and the landlord eats 25%, but still takes home 75% of uh, the rent, which is a whole lot better than zero. That's the program in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And so less than 30% of landlords appear to be willing to even consider applying. And from the point of view of the tenant, the occupant of that premise, they can't benefit from the program if the landlord refuses to apply. It's just not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. And every one of your listeners, and you and I, are very familiar that property costs in Vancouver, and Metro Vancouver in particular, are very high. All across southwestern BC, retailers pay a lot of rent and accordingly you know these people are really suffering and it's particularly acute for the smallest neighborhood retail businesses absolutely and we know that uh, the the small business the small local entrepreneur is in fact the backbone of the economy of canada so we have provisions here in vancouver in british columbia greg that protects renters in a in in their homes from being evicted if they are in a, unable to pay their rent but we don't have a parallel program for commercial tenants, or do we? No, we don't. And uh, we've asked British Columbia and other business organizations have asked the government of British Columbia to institute a moratorium on commercial evictions for a couple of months. One of the reasons we'd like to institute that that moratorium is to help those small businesses. But another is because it's our feeling that if we that that would pressure more landlords into applying for the Federal Rental Assistance Program. Is that uh, the reason you suspect, uh, just based on your research, and you have the advantage of looking at the national big picture, is that the reason, Jerry, that you're, or, sorry, Greg, that you're able to, to surmise that uh, a certain percentage of landlords simply aren't interested in this because uh, they, they, they're taking a flying pass on the whole process? Well, I think, you know, everybody who's dealt with a government program will understand that there's an amount of bureaucracy to applying for a program. Of course, yes. It's just a natural, it's just a natural assumption that if your tenant's paying rent, why should you apply, even though the tenant may be suffering dramatically? And so, you know, what has happened here is we have a lot of retail tenants who are suffering and frankly it applies to restaurants as well oh yeah and they're not able and they're not able to uh, you know take advantage of the federal government's program simply because their landlord isn't applying that just doesn't seem like you know it was the intention of the program the intention of the program was to help distress small businesses now have you received by the way of gathering this information greg that that many of the individuals the the small business operators who owe rents to these landlords who are not requesting the program be directed at them uh is that because the landlords uh, uh, recognize that uh, there's there's just not a, not enough in it for them and, and and also i suppose what's the degree of communication between the tenant and the landlord in this process of trying to convince someone to sign up for something so there's a dramatic variance in the degree of communication and the, and the relationship between landlords and tenants that's normal in a landlord tenant relationship some landlords are very communicative and very willing to to work with their tenants mm-hmm. to resolve problems and other tenants 
Other landlords are not essentially present. But what we know is that probably 30% of small retail businesses will go under in the next number of months. And we need to do everything we can can do to protect those businesses, those stores on which we count and that sort of provide color to our neighborhoods and jobs to our friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. And as I said, you know, the situation is probably more dire for restaurants. Indeed. So uh, final question to you, Greg, and we're, we're grateful for your, your time with us this morning. What sort of appetite, if any, do you sense from Victoria for this notion of the extending the non-eviction uh, order uh, from private homes to commercial properties? Well, the commercial eviction moratorium is a matter that we've just, you know, we first brought to the attention of the province in late April. Um, We haven't had a formal response from the province. I think it's something they're considering. But, you know, frankly, there hasn't been a lot of noise on the subject except from business associations. And sometimes it helps if, uh, you know, politicians feel the pressure from the people. Interesting. So one of the pressure groups that could be uh, bringing some uh, focused pressure on the government is indeed the Retail Council of Canada. And if anyone listening to us right now, Greg, is in that predicament and not connected with you and, and any other larger industry group, how do they get a hold of you? Well, the Retail Council has a website, and uh, our numbers are on the website. It's very easy to get in touch with us, and we're always very pleased to speak to retailers who are in need of of our assistance. All right, Greg, thanks very much for this this morning. We'll check back with you, if you don't mind, uh, once we get past this uh, June 1st taxation deadline, and especially if there's any news regarding some indication from Victoria that there is uh, an interest in looking after small business and entrepreneurs in the same way that they're looking at private individuals as tenants. Thanks very much for this. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Greg Wilson is the BC Director in Charge of Government Relations with the Retail Council of Canada. Lots of public money being spent by all levels of government these days. Here to take a look on a Saturday morning at some of that spending and how effective it is going to be or already is being is Chris Sims, the BC Director of uh, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Always a treat to have you on the show. Chris, good morning. Good morning. So let's start with the city of Vancouver and we'll work our way to Victoria and eventually end up in Ottawa and take a look at spending and the uh, the efficacy of spending. And we, we're seeing in Vancouver, for example, they are doing some things to help small business and entrepreneurs. They're, they're trying to rush through uh, extra patio space for restaurants mm. and, and getting a few more customers, uh, paying customers uh, available to order food and drink. Uh, they're looking at more transit for more people returning to work, effective Monday, uh, more room on some streets in terms of creating more uh, lanes for uh, cycles, whether it's closing Stanley Park on a permanent basis, Chris, or, uh, or, or reducing some traffic flow, again, to accommodate more patios in some cases. They're trying to look at ways to assist small business. And in the same breath, almost, uh, we find out their, their, their priorities aren't exactly all lined up in in the same row as sanitation could be compromised in order to accommodate yet another communications staff member. That's where the credibility kind of falls on its face, don't you think? We do. Uh, And it's, I did want to preface this with, 
we understand. Um, we're in really unprecedented times, and I think it's important to every now and then take a moment and say, wow, this has been really difficult sure. for so many people. Uh, many people have lost their jobs. Um, they've had their salaries reduced. Others don't know if their businesses will ever open again. I get calls from people all the time like that. So I think it's important to just step back for a second and say, this has been super tough on a lot of people. So we get it. Uh, we're, we're trying to be patient. However, when, when you see a story like what we saw uh, from Global News this past week with Jordan Armstrong pointing out that while the city of Vancouver is grappling with massive amounts of deficit right now mm-hmm. because of what's happened with COVID, um, they're turning around and still setting aside more than $90,000 for yet another communications person, as you point out. Yeah. And last we counted, based on news reports, they have 33 both full-time and part-time communication staff at City Hall, not including the mayor's office. That's a lot of people. Um, To give you an example, uh, back when Sam Sullivan was mayor of Vancouver, uh, which was still in our modern connected time, they were managing their media with around six people. Sure. Now it's 33 plus, and they're cutting the sanitation budget. So it's one of those moments where you're going to kind of Give them a little knock on the door and say, guys, <laughs> get get your priorities straight here. Well, especially when it comes, I mean, of all the of all the departments in, in a major city like Vancouver to decide to uh, well, limit in terms or even restrict some budgeting, the sanitation department was perhaps the worst possible choice, Chris. Yes, exactly. Especially now. Uh, you know, obviously, we're still quite worried about what's going on with COVID-19. It's a strange virus. Even our epidemiologists are still wondering exactly what this thing is. Um, and so, yeah, you want to make sure your streets are clean. You want to make sure that your transit facilities and your bus stops are all clean. That's very important. Uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in unfortunately noticing on streets and sidewalks and some parking lots, folks wrongly discarding their gloves, sure. discarding their masks. They shouldn't do that. We know that. But fortunately, we have folks who clean that stuff up. And if we start cutting those budgets, that's not a good idea. Uh, Start thinking about folks who are hanging out in parks, things like that. What if you're leaving things behind? If you're leaving trash out for long periods of time and then you start getting vermin that are populating, that's not good. Fortunately, the the mayor, Kennedy Stewart, has decided to buy himself a little bit of wiggle room after trying to claim it was a false narrative, which it isn't. Mm -hmm. His fallback position now is, well, the person hasn't been hired yet. And, no, but they're and, still and, putting and, the money aside. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, we, we, that, that maybe not the end of that story yet. There is considerable public pressure being brought to bear on this mm, uh, questionable decision. Let's move on to Victoria, if we can, Chris, please, because sure. the, the province of British Columbia has come up with they, they've instituted eviction protection for individual tenants not commercial tenants we had a chat with the retail council last hour about how they're really trying to convince victoria to extend that eviction protection to commercial clients or commercial uh, entities nonetheless in addition to eviction protection they've also instituted a tax-free grant a one-time grant program so victoria is also leaning into this as best they can They are, and I did want to take a moment and say they are doing some things right. Uh, For example, they went, they cut at the very beginning of this pandemic and the economic shutdown, they reduced the commercial property taxes, so Mm -hmm. the ones that small businesses typically pay, not all. um, They cut that by 50% in half, 
So that is really significant in savings. Um, they also delayed, for example, uh, the employer health tax collection, although unfortunately employers will still have to pay that coming up in the fall. And they also didn't increase the carbon tax in BC. We would have liked to have seen it gone, but credit where it's due, they didn't jack it up in April the same way that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did. So they're doing some things right. However, I have been getting some calls from small businesses who are just now trying to gasp and open up their doors for the first time in sometimes two months. Mm-hmm. And now they're facing a, a minimum wage automatic increase. They're still putting that through. That's right. Effective um, Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And some of these small businesses, we need to, we need to stress, these, these could be your neighbors. These are the same moms and dads that you were dropping your kids off with at school. Um, and they have now, for example, a hairstylist has to provide masks. That's money out of his or her pocket. Or they have to provide protective screening if they're in a restaurant. Again, that's money right out of their tills. Um, And if you're automatically jacking up the minimum wage on top of that, you know, that could break some of these small businesses just if they're trying to reopen. So Mm. they do need to revisit that. All right. And let's talk about Ottawa and the number that Michael Campbell shared with us about uh, 20 minutes ago. He said, I hope you're sitting down. And of course, he knew I was. The, mm. the, the feds have, uh, have uh, uh, in 27 days, uh, dispensed with $371 billion, Chris. Just breathtaking, isn't it? Um, it's just such a staggering amount of money. And we know that especially at the outset of this, Frankly, we didn't know what we were going to be dealing with. A lot of people were scared that our entire hospital systems would be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So, so we get the, you know, we, we agreed with the need for urgency of get the money out now and then go back and make sure and, you know, double check that sort of thing. Our concern is a, an apparent lack of oversight here uh, for them to decide and turn around and basically shut down Parliament. Right. To not have settings, uh, sessions and sittings and all that with as many parliamentarians as safely possible while handing out dollars in the billions and billions of sums, that's not accountable. They need to be accountable here. And these are the people who, uh, uh, until they were caught by the opposition, were quite willing to give themselves carte blanche to spend at will uh, up until the end of next year. So uh, despite the fact that they're doing what we pay them to do, which is govern and manage a difficult situation, they're also politicians and not beyond trying to take advantage of certain situations. We would be under that restriction right now had they not been caught out by the opposition and had uh, had to drop that provision. So with a lack of parliamentary oversight, and you can do it virtually, we're good at long-distance communication. The, the yeah. fact that we can't all 338 MPs sit together <laughs> in one room is hardly a, an excuse for not having parliament, especially with the sort of money flowing out the front door on a daily basis, virtually unchecked, Chris. That's making a lot of Canadians nervous. It should because it's our money, and not only that, it's our economy. If this thing goes south hard, uh, we'll all suffer because of it. And we need accountability. It isn't a, a, a partisan issue. It doesn't matter if it's the natural law party that's in power. Right, right. We need government oversight. We Remember that one? <laughs> we need accountability. And without it, uh, bad things happen. And you're right. It was the opposition and the media that caught on to that weird power grab that they tried doing almost in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and called them out on it. And they went, oh, it was a mistake. <laughs> That's some mistake. No, no accountability or parliamentary oversight, even on spending. So, for example, during even the Second World War, when we have budgets going through, they still had debates. 
Winston Churchill was still was still getting his spending approved in 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 Britain. Sure, you know this. I under, we understand we're in we're in a weird situation, but you can't just go rubber stamping billions and billions of dollars of spending and changing laws, the way that people live, how we how we access our private property, things like that. Right. You can't do that without parliamentary oversight. Is there a petition uh, going right now that you, you're good at petitions at the Taxpayers Federation? Is there anything that you've got underway by which Canadians can join in and say, it's about Parliament. Remember Parliament? This is how we run the country. Absolutely. We have an entire suite, frankly, of, of petitions. You can go to our website, everything from oversight to accountability to, hey, roll back your pay wages and donate them to charity, things like that. Uh, you can just go to our website, taxpayer.com. And also to stress, there's a big resource there on how to push back politely, how to write a letter, how to send that email, what phone number to use, because if we don't speak up, things don't change. And uh, taxpayer.com, friends, and an opportunity if you are apprehensive about uh, some of this massive spending, which appears to be relatively unchecked, you can uh, join in with many other Canadians and uh, sound off at taxpayer.com. Chris Sims, BC Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Always a treat to have you with us. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.